This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider giving, making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like, subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here we go. This episode of Godsplaining, I am joined by Father Gregory Pine. This is not the first time he's been on this show. Father Gregory, we're ha- glad to have you back. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, thanks. Oh, I didn't ask you before the episode, but I'm just going to presume permission. Um that I think this will be the first episode of God's Blending since the Prudence book is available for purchase. So I'm going to take this as an opportunity to mention it. Wait a second. Here it is on hand. For those of you watching at home on YouTube, Father Bonaventure is a handy prop. Bingo! The cover, um, they, Look well, they got, the, they got the letters backwards. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, other than that. So, but, I mean, if you read it, you, um, it's, it's like, it's Hebrew. Um, kind of thing, but it's, nice. it's yeah, you just go right no, to I left think that's some right. camera business. Who knows? But this, you know, yeah, it's the same same thing. But here, here it is. So um, I should say. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be compassed about. So here's Father Gregory on my one side, and here's the book uh-huh. on the other side, and they're both by Father Gregory. So Father Gregory, yes. Uh, so congratulations, Father Gregory has just released a book. Here is the copy of it. It says it's called um, Enunst Derp. <laughs> it's called prudence <laughs> choose confidently live boldly and it's by father gregory pine it's a it's a it's a delightful little text um but so you want to say anything about this book this episode That's is incredible. not on this book but yeah. it might might turn into that we'll see so for those of you listening and not watching part of the source of your confusion is that when we record things on camera everything is reversed like in a mirror and so that is the source of the aforementioned jokes regarding this here book. But yeah, Prudence. Choose confidently, live boldly. Father Bonaventure is a copy. I don't yet because I live in Switzerland and the Swiss Post takes like a thousand years to get anything anywhere uh, for reasons that completely bewilder me. But, you should um, read it when you get it. I should read it. No, that'd be a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's about making decisions and doing so in a way that leads to happiness. That is a thumbnail sketch. But I think a lot of people, when they approach decisions, they're like, ah, this is really terrible. You know, like it's a source of anxiety or anguish. So will this make your decision-making process simple? Um, maybe a little bit more, uh, but certainly it'll help you to think about that with, um, yeah, with just kind of a, a greater cognizance of the sacred scriptures and the church's tradition and how we can use those resources and riches to, uh, yeah, to live our lives well. So that's my plug. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, every I'm just going to talk about the book a little more. Um, every answer, every question that you have about life, uh, that you're looking for answers in there, especially practical questions like what should I do, where should I go, who should I marry, what should I eat, um, what should I wear, they're all answered in that book. Um, it's not even long. You could carry it around with you when someone says, "Hey, do you want to go to this movie?" You just take out the book, read the book, um, this sort of thing. So if you want to succeed, uh, and yeah, by just reading from a text, this is it. You might find that someone might say that's not living prudently, and you might say, "Let me check the book." Um, but there it is. So I'm I'm doing well. I have not published a book, um, but I'm happy to, to hawk these wares of of uh, of this book. And um, well, I mean, usually we talk about weather or something, but this was the the book seems like a good opening for this. So let's just yeah. jump in. We usually we haven't talked about. We haven't done one of these episodes in a while. As you know, dear listeners, uh, Father Gregory and I usually do some sort of, <clears throat> we do literature episodes and movie episodes. And I don't think we've done a movie episode in a while. But do you remember what the last Tim Tim Directors, did we do Vilvanu? We didn't do Vilvanu, did we? 
No, I think the last one we did was either Wes Anderson or Christopher Nolan. Maybe That's Terrence right. Malick. I think we've done those three. I don't know if we've done any others. I think it was Terrence Malick. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it was anyway. Um, you know, doesn't none of it matters. Um, <laughs> but the the we, we thought we'd talk about another one of our favorite uh, direct directors. Our favorite director. Yeah, pl- plural. Uh, the Coen Brothers, who some of you probably have seen, and Father Gregory and I have seen a number of movies. They've got just tons of these things. Um, and they're broken out in different ways, and we, well, we're going to talk about some themes uh, in the movies, but um, just to start, there are just some brilliant, quirky aspects. I mean, the Coen brothers, they're kind of like David Lynch, but less Lynchian. Like, it's its <laughs> just cool and interesting enough, but not totally crazy kind of stuff. Yeah. So, Father Greg, how, how did you, what was the first Coen, movie, Coen brothers movie you saw? And what is the uh, what's is there any quintessential kind of Cohenisms that uh, stick to your mind? Um, I think actually, Father Bonaventure, before I entered the novitiate, I don't know that I really had a taste for film or cinema in the more refined sense of the term. I mostly went for what you term punchy kickies, um, and then I entered the novitiate, and you're like, "What if we watch this weird movie?" And I was like, "As far as I can tell, I am along for the ride, but I will be there and I will pop the popcorn." So I think I, I may have seen my first Coen Brothers movie in the novitiate. But since then, I have become personally invested in the Coen Brothers movies and their broad ranging career. Uh, I think it begins 1984. They made a movie called Blood Simple. And the most famous actress uh, who appears in that movie is Frances McDormand, who I think Joel Cohen ended up marrying. And she reappears in another four or five or six of their films. Mm-hmm. They have a thing with certain actors and actresses that they just keep them around. Yeah. And then the most recent one went straight to Netflix, I think, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is mm-hmm. a compilation of like, it's got to be what, five or six short stories or kind of short vignettes. But um, along the way, they dip into a variety of genres. Sometimes they're writing the screenplay. Sometimes they're adapting a novel. They might be doing dark comedy. They might be doing whatever, nihilistic death text. They might be doing something more frivolous. They might be doing something more creative. But they're very, very diverse and they're very, very what would you say? They're very, very capable of making movies with, um, yeah, with, with plots, with characters, with themes, which can engage you in a variety of ways. So for this reason, I have, I have become a convert and, uh, I thank you for having testified. Well, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I, I'll take credit for that and the book maybe. Um, and just <laughs> letting you know, there's a book called Prudence out if you want to look into that. Okay. Um, I, th- I think people are probably most familiar. Well, I wonder if their their most popular one is No Country for Old Men, uh, which is based on. And I'd forgotten that was by a, uh, the Coens for some reason. It's like um, you forget that Shawshank Redemption is ri- it was written by Stephen King. Um, just, <laughs> you know, right there you go, boom, mysteries revealed. Um, but <laughs> No Country for Old Men, obviously based off the book of Cormac McCarthy, um, that might be the most most familiar one. But then there's also uh, there's also a trilogy that people might have you might not have known this was a trilogy, but we'll talk about that. Oh brother, where art thou? A serious man and true grit. Um, and then there's a bunch of of kind of one off comedies you could say. Uh, Lady Killers with the Tom Hanks is in that. Uh, Burn after reading. Um, Hudsucker proxy. Bizarre names. And Father Gregory has seen all of these because he doesn't do anything to half measure. Um, he's a prudent man. Um, so he he has seen all of these and taken notes. And then I'm sure I'm sure. Um, but let's do let's do some themes here. Uh, some themes yep. here. So the first theme we could say is there's something. What do you want to say? Something. It's dark comedy is a good word for it. But there's something comedic 
and kind of you're, you're laughing at things that you probably oughtn't to be laughing at, mm. but they do it in a way that's that's helpful. So what are some of the I mean, what what is this dark comedy business of the Coen brothers? Yeah, I think um, so. Maybe people are familiar with the films of Quentin Tarantino um, mm -hmm. and the most recent, which is uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Tarantino is kind of known for a certain crassness. Um, it's what would you say? It's a kind of mm, lack of respect almost for the human condition, or it's a kind of violent tendency to mistreat the human condition. So you, you find yourself sometimes in a position where you're laughing as someone is beaten or murdered or whatever it might be, uh, or you're supposed to do that. Um, those with more sensitive consciences are typically horrified and then take private vows never to watch another Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, but there's, there's a little bit of that that's going on in the Coen brothers, but the way that they do it is a little less irreverent. Um, and what you attribute that to hard to say, I think they are kind of Jewish by origin, but I don't get the impression that they are of, uh, like a kind of practicing disposition. Uh, but they have a kind of respect for the human condition and yet they're willing to mock it in a pretty thoroughgoing way. And so with a lot of these dark comedies, you find yourself just kind of marveling at the agony and the ecstasy, the heights and the depths, uh, the exalted things that people are capable of and the kind of, what would you say, um, base or pathetic things that we stoop to at times. And they can, yeah, they can just make this into a whole story and just kind of uh, spin a story out on the basis of the fact that we, as you know, rational animals, have this spiritual dimension and then this corporeal dimension, which often serve ironically to, I don't know what you would say, highlight the heights and the depths of both. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you see there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit like I was thinking about this, uh, kind of like Flannery O'Connor, like something, but but in a in a jokey mood. It's like Flannery O'Connor if she had a if she had like a night show. Or something you know um because she's she really puts it out there and it's 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 real dark um for a purpose and they have a sort of darkness to some of the things but it never gets too ooh, in your face or drenchy um it's not lugubrious or yeah i mean just i think of like thick blackness it's never that like for instance uh Christopher Nolan sometimes like Dark Knight, for instance, if you compared this kind of, if you compared maybe Dark Knight to say, let's give an example, like No Country for Old Men, um, you have uh, two characters that are very dark. In The Dark Knight, you know, with Christopher Nolan, you have, of course, the Joker played by Heath Ledger. Um, and then in, in No Country for Old Men, of course, you have Chigurh, um, the kind of the nihilistic um, joy romper. Um, and he's, it, so you have two dark characters, but the, the Batman movie with Christopher Nolan, you're just always in darkness in a way. Um, and there's, you know, and it's not as, not as deep as, as No Country Old Men. But Shigori, you're still, there's still a lot of good there. And, but it's not good in the sense of superhero stuff. It's the tensions of, yeah, maybe there's something kind of right about this guy. But at the same time, there's victory against him. So maybe that's, that. there's just a, there's a lightness it's like a touching of the most serious issues, but in a manageable way, in a way that some other movies, but or like Flannery O'Connor, can be a little bit, um, you know, a little can be very hard for some people. Uh, so, yeah, it's sort of a, a light brush, pastel, pastel kind of dark darkness. I would say, <sighs> you know, the black that you get in kind of a Franz Klein painting, maybe that kind of thing. Um, when 
so I mean, you have these dark comedies, and then you have these other movies which are more just like dark darkities, uh, dark tragedies, dark. What would you call them? Hard to say. Nihilistic death tech. Maybe that's the best word for it. Um, and I think the the most famous of one is, like you said, No Country for Old Men. But then there are others, like Inside Lewin Davis, and even some of the different sketches in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs tend to be this way. But I think that part of the reason for which I find them engaging, or I find them even humanizing, is because they show a, like a kind of sensitivity to the human condition. Um, and what we find in a lot of film or a lot of movies is that there's a falsification of the human, con like the human condition as a way by which to sell. So you're very conscious of the fact, or at least you surrender yourself to the fact that this is a commercial enterprise. I am paying money to be entertained, to receive this in an almost wholly passive way. And just to see the things explode or to see the couple reunited or to have some maudlin or otherwise saccharine encounter, which will make me feel a little less terrible about my life. But I'm not going to have to do any, any, any work, right? Or I'm not going to have to do any, any, any serious leisure. Whereas there's something about the Coen Brothers movies which kind of appeal to you as a thinking human subject. Mm -hmm. They're like, but, but, but what about this thing? Or, but what about that thing? And one of the, I don't know, one of the aspects of these more difficult movies or these nihilistic death texts that I find to be especially delightful is that they show you how very stark or how very difficult the human condition is, but they also affirm something at the heart of that human condition. And, you know, you probably have your different examples of this. I have my own. I have two that come to mind right now. Mm -hmm. But one is Inside Lewin Davis. It's a kind of, yeah, there's this guy. He's living in the late 60s in Greenwich Village during the, what would you say? It's a kind of like musical revival that's taking place at that point. But he misses out on it, although he's got talent. He's got skill. He's just kind of in the wrong time. He's at the wrong place at the wrong time or in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'll learn how to speak eventually. It's just not today. Mm -hmm. Um and you see them kind of sketching out the eternal recurrence of the same as a way of showing the futility of his efforts. He, he, he repeats the same day. He repeats the same activity. But in the course of the repeated day, they transpose small elements, one in particular, which show that the door is open or that the door remains open to small changes. And I think that that's really sensitive to the fact that if you, if you watch a movie that says, like, you can be anything you want to be, just try harder. What that does to us as humans is it kind of elates us for five seconds. And then we realize that we're suffering in the midst of the same human condition. And actually, there's, there's nothing about that appeal, which is really animating. All right. Whereas when somebody says, I affirm the difficulty of your situation, but I also see this thing here, which affords us an entry into something beyond. You're like, I think I might actually believe that because I feel like I feel like this artist has suffered the things that I have suffered and seen a way through them, or I kind of like painted or portrayed a way through them. And that, that I find to be very humanizing because it doesn't treat the human condition as something just to be kind of like drum beaten and then sent in whatever other direction that the current market dictates, but like mm -hmm. something to be suffered with and then something to be kind of conducted onwards in a real sensitive way. Yeah. And I think my example, I suppose, of, of this, this kind of, yeah, Real human things, but with a with a certain touch to them, is uh, from this movie *Hail Caesar*, which I, I saw recently. And you know, it's growing on me. Uh, I didn't initially. I think I initially did not like it, but I have to say, there's some there's some the characters in there. So it's uh, Josh Brolin is the is is Mannix Ed Mannix, who's um, in charge of a studio, uh, Hollywood studio, and he's just trying to he's got to put out tons of fires. And George Clooney's character, I forget, is is uh, 
he's but he's he's been kidnapped by some marxists and uh and he's so it's the 50s and it's kind of there's something beautiful but it's you have both the seriousness because the whole the sub the subline of the thing is mannix is trying to he's trying to solve put all these fires in this hollywood thing because he thinks that it's good what hollywood is doing producing movies this is particularly about the christ this movie hail caesar is about uh george clooney's playing this playing this roman tribune who's going to be converted by christ um and so he thinks this is really important and he has these kind of conversations with a priest confessor uh it takes place over an entire day and he's gone to confession twice and so he's 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 really he's really getting in there um and and then and then so it he's and he has to decide like he's offered a job opportunity to another to another place that would be more commercialistic make more money all these things and it's a question of you know is it worth putting up with nonsense for a good purpose and his resolve to do that and so at the same point you have this strong moral lesson about the moral compass and the importance of of transcendence in christ and then the other point at the other hand at the end of it of course george clooney's character is delivering this amazing you know conversion to christ and everyone's like about to go to tears and he forgets like his key line um his the key word in it and so everyone just like has to stop and you just you're back to the normal like good one we almost made that let's uh let's try it again and i love that kind of aspect because it's so human i like humanizing is your right word is taking the real the important lessons of the, of the world and of life but also presenting them with the chiaroscuro the kind of the the darker side the just the the human side that we you know we are both committed to the most important things in life and we also totally forget what's important and do stupid things and that these need to be work that these are together and we're working towards something more perfect and he presents that in, in a way that is comfortable and yet at the same time challenges you to say no there are really things serious things here but you know life also it can be taken a little bit less seriously it's good to laugh at ourselves as well yeah, there's, I think that this dynamic comes to its perfection in No Country for Old Men. And what I'm about to say is just lifted directly from the musings of Father Gabriel Toretta, who has watched this movie a few times and has excellent things to say about it. But uh, without giving too much away, like you said, it's based off a novel by Cormac McCarthy. In this novel and in the movie, the antagonist, Anton Shugar, he delivers people's death sentence in pretty terrifying terms, but he often has them flip a coin, you know, heads, I kill you, tails, you walk. Uh, inevitably, he kills everyone whom he meets in the movie or everyone who witnesses a crime or a killing. So like all those who are in any way implicated with his professional life suffer the consequences. And this comes to a head in the last scene where it's a matter of tying up the last loose end. And he offers this individual a choice uh, to flip the coin. But rather than flip the coin, which she does in the book, she refuses to flip the coin, mm -hmm. which is really fascinating because here is this terrible, terrible murderer who has overpowered every single one of his victims, who has never been, you know, directed from his murderous course. And this woman just says no. And that is an affirmation of her freedom even in the midst of this choice that he poses to her, which would kind of run roughshod over her freedom, as if to say, like, whether you live or die, it's a matter of chance. And she says, no, it's not a matter of chance, because I choose not to flip, because you've chosen to, ki you've chosen to kill me. And it's after that, you know, this is a, a debatable interpretation of the movie, that his life kind of comes apart. Um, so whereas he had been meticulous up to that point, he commits a fatal error, and the movie kind of ends on that note for him. So, yeah, does... 
you know, does it end terribly for most people who ever cross paths with this guy? Absolutely. But the fact that somebody was willing to affirm their human dignity and their human freedom, even in this very, very thin way, uh, proves to him an occasion of some kind of conversion, not the conversion that we typically talk about, like grace rushed into his life, he saw the light and came to the Lord. But in the sense that what he had settled upon as a working model for his life was destabilized because he saw, you know, in the face of another who wouldn't affirm it or who wouldn't abide by his terms, that it had to be, a re it had to be reevaluated in some way, that there was something lacking to it, which I just think is, yeah, like the whole movie kind of sets that up. And uh, I feel like it just, it just really captures it well. Yeah, that's true. It is. It's a spectacular movie, and it is very different. The book's good. The book is, in some ways, the sheriff in the book, I think, is better, although Tommy Lloyd Jones does a great job. Um, but in, in other ways, the, um, the the movie takes an angle on it that is, is profound. Because these guys, it's, I don't know what their education is, but they, they strike me as being very intelligent about, about what they're doing. Particularly, um, we'll now mention the, the trilogy, which people may not have known was a trilogy, but it's kind of a Western civ thing. So, um, if you were taught Western civilizations, for instance, you know that there are kind of three big cultures, you know, uh, well, <laughs> used to be, now there's a lot more apparently. Um, and, uh, but Greek, you learn the Greeks, then you learn the Jews, so you had reason and revelation, and they com were combined uh, in Christianity. So you had the Greeks, the Jews, and, the, and Christianity. And the Greeks had epics, um, so they have epics, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey, and you'd read these things. And the Jews, of course, have the Old Testament. And Christianity has the scriptures and and going forward. So uh, the Cohen brothers actually produced a, a Western civilization trilogy. I don't know if they were trying to get into, you know, the homeschooling market or uh, the liberal <laughs> Catholic liberal education market, but it, really well done. So, oh, brother, where art thou is what it's called is the Greek epic. Uh, and it is it's based off the Odyssey. Uh, a serious man, which is probably the least well known of the three, is is based on the book of Job. Um, and then it's a Jewish community in America, a Jewish family in America in the fifties. And then, um, true grit is the Christian epic. And it's based off of particularly the Calvinist, uh, Calvinist version of Christianity. And what's, what's fascinating about these, these, these movies of all the individually spectacular as well is what they're doing in them is I would say. Hans-Jürg Gadamer, a uh, German philosopher in the 20th century, student of Heidegger, lived for a thousand years, um, called it a fusion of horizons, that when we interpret a text, we always bring something to it, and it brings something to us, and we fuse those two horizons, our horizon and the text's horizon, you could say, it's, its setting. And these three movies are spectacular in the sense that they fuse the horizons of where they set the movies in with these original texts. So, our brother, where art thou? is is set in, you know, it's in the south, and it's um, and the uh, serious man is Job set in 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 the in the fifties, and then True Grit, of course, is is the it's the remaking of of uh, uh, John Wayne's famous famous classic. Um, but they're 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 set in particular contexts, but not in a silly way, but in a, an integrated way. So, what's your what's your favorite of those? What do you take of those three? And what's your What's your favorite element of them, would you say? Yeah, I um, maybe, I mean, maybe just treat them in order, send it back mm -hmm. to you after a sure. short thought on O Brother, Where Art Thou? But That's great. part of the reason for which I love O Brother, Where Art Thou? is that it shows the kind of diffusiveness of culture. So like you said, it's set in the South, and it, and it commends the South with a kind of charm, even when it's showing you a KKK rally. It does so, um, what would you say? It does so with like a kind of musical flair, 
Um, but the Coen brothers are said to never have read the Odyssey. Okay, so w the way in which they get their their data for portraying this epic is just kind of by cultural word of mouth. So they're appropriating appropriated images. They're kind of showing you the diffusiveness of culture, and they're showing how they they, they themselves stand at the confluence of cultures. They're American. They're part of this great tradition. They're Jews, so they have a particular, you know, like light to shine on the matter. And they they do it and they carry it off well. You often find this with, you know, when Shakespeare is reinterpreted in light of some contemporary event, it's like you go to see Coriolanus and it's almost always done as 20th century fascism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that can bring things out of the text that you wouldn't have recognized except that they were transposed in some way. And I think that that's one of the proper vocations of an artist is just to transpose reality according to the, the kind of insight of his vision. And they do that. And, and, and part of what testifies to the fact that they accomplished that in No Brother Where Out Thou is that it's kind of in part responsible for the bluegrass revival in the United States at the beginning of the 21st century. So when we think about our own lives, you know, like what do people know about the Dominican province of St. Joseph? Well, a lot of people know the hillbilly Thomists, okay? And a lot of these guys are influenced by music that they are hearing, which really comes back online with Oh Brother, Where Out Thou? Mm -hmm. Because the Coen brothers have sensibilities about the Odyssey and about American bluegrass and, or, or just Americana music more broadly, setting in the South and just putting it in a kind of, yeah, hilarious, dark comedy type way. And they make something beautiful, which gives us a deepened appreciation as to our own human state um, and a deepened appreciation as to our own pilgrimage. So I think that as just a, a, a work of cultural art is quite an accomplishment and it doesn't end up being heavy. You know, you, mm -hmm. you enjoy it uh, as art is meant to make something beautiful and beauty is meant to please. Yeah. So they, so they, they pull it off, but yeah. And then, well, I think so. I'll, I'll switch over to uh, a serious man because I'd like that they make it, it's not heavy. They make it enjoyable because if you think, if there's any book in the old Testament, you could make super heavy um is job you know the suffering of job with all the with all the scrapings off of the the skin and all this sort of thing um and 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 you know everything in job uh and they make it they make it light but still tell a, a, a good account of it so in this serious man um it's the father a father a jewish father and they're biblical jewish so they have a lot of they have inside knowledge and this sort of thing grew up in the 50s and he's a physics professor um but his wife is trying to to leave him with this other man uh, in the Jewish community, and his son is going through um, his his like bar mitzvah or something. No, it's um, he's going, but he's going through the ritual um, to becoming a man, and he has to visit these these four rabbis. You're visiting, and so he, because this man is uh, the the professor who's center of it, the the father, he's he's having struggles with with the family. He's being persecuted in all these sorts of different ways, and he's trying to figure out the meaning of life and what's going on. And so he goes to these different rabbis, just like Job has to go to these different different um, people. And they're all comical. And there's the young man, the old man. And you get these different kind of answers or to what's going on in his life. But he's still got to figure out where where God is in this thing. And we won't give away the ending, but it's it's a it's and it's a spectacular situation of Job and the persecution of a man for he's done nothing wrong as far as you can tell, but everything's just kind of collapsing around him and his family situation and such. And he's trying to find to be a serious man, a righteous man, uh, is, is the, is the kind of the, the phrase there, um, in the midst of all these other things. And it's, it's absolutely, so it gets the, the, the sufferings of, well, where were you? It has the storm cloud literally at the, at the end. Um, but does it in a way that just does not feel at all, uh, saccharine or, you know, preachy or anything, but very, very real. 
the final turn, and we'll both do this one, I suppose, is uh, True Grit, which I love John Wayne's True Grit. It's just phenomenal. And uh, the Coen brothers decide that they're going to take that. And it's hard to compare which one, which ones. I mean, they're just such different movies because True Grit is the movie that John Wayne finally won the Oscar for and rides off in the sunset in. And there's no riding off into the sunset in this one. Um, this is uh, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays this one. Um, and he he's plays in some of the other movies as well. But he Rooster Cogburn, the sheriff. If you haven't seen this, it's a dark movie about vengeance uh and and this the the central character maddie um has a very different she is not the sweet girl kind of sweet strong-willed girl from the the original one but rather is deeply affected by a calvinist kind of black and white justice thing uh she it's predestined that her father's killer will meet his death and nothing is going to stop from this so it's it's a beautiful but where is Christ in that? This is the interesting part I want to throw to Father Gregory is um, this is their Christian epic. Uh, so the, the Odyssey and the and Job, I think, are pretty good. This one is a I mean, it's hard to recognize this as I would say a Christian epic other than perhaps you could say Cogburn. Rooster Cogburn is this kind of savior figure who protects and guides her. But that's the most vaguest. But what do you I mean, what do you make of the Christian aspects of this uh from a from the Catholic perspective, I I get it from the Protestant from the Calvinist perspective, but from yeah. the Catholic perspective, what do you think? I think um, I think it's a a Jewish take on Christian life, and I think the three you know the three movies represent a Jewish take on I mean on a variety of things, but mm -hmm. one way in which to organize it is the inexplicability or the explicability of things. Um, so I'm thinking of Nietzsche's Birth of Tragedy, and he describes this notion where at the heart of Greek culture, there's a kind of struggle between what he calls the Apollonian and then the Dionysian. So the Apollonian would be like the more rational, the more explicable. And then the Dionysian would be like the more emotional, the more ecstatic, the more, you know, like fertility and drunkenness and, uh, emo yeah, whatever you would call it. So that, that this is the source of a kind of dynamic tension at the heart of Greek culture. And, um, what you have in, Oh, brother, or art thou is a kind of exploration of that insofar as you have, you have characters who weigh in on both sides of the matter, and it's largely a story of their conflicts uh, or of their evasions. And then with, uh, you know, the, a serious man, you have the Jewish interpretation of the explicability and inexplicability of life, which is a kind of narrative interpretation. So it's, you know, if you ask a yes or no question to a Jewish rabbi, he tells you a story because there's this deep, deep appreciation for the narrative quality of human life. Um, and that we kind of come to a sense of who we are within the context of um, a father's house, a tribe, a clan, a salvation history. But it doesn't necessarily have the kind of termination which one might expect of a 20th or a 21st century Hollywood film, because the Jews are used to, you know, endless oppression, endless suffering and the awaiting of a Messiah. So they're kind of an open inexplicability. Uh, whereas I think what they're saying with the third movie is that Christianity is tempted to be a kind of closed explicability mm -hmm. in the sense that because, you know, the, the savior has in fact come Christianity can sometimes be somewhat triumphalistic in its stance vis-a-vis -vis other religions, which is to say like, we have all the answers. And as a result of which we don't need to ask further questions. And I think that Maddie really embodies that she has a very clear cut narrative for her life. And she goes about prosecuting that narrative. And Rooster Cogburn kind of breaks into her world and shakes it up. And you see that there's almost a movement of her heart kind of in response, a generous movement, a receptive movement. But she eventually 
you know, cuts it off just as you know, her arm is cut off. <laughs> um, and, and that for her is, is the final closure of what is a closed explicability. So I think for us, you know, as Christians, it's a kind of challenge to recover something of, you know, the Dionysian, not in the sense of Bacchanalian rebels, but mm -hmm. like to recover the wholeness of our humanity, to cover a certain sense of the inexplicability of life and oppose that to the Lord rather than treating the Lord as if, you know, he kind of clothes, closes or forecloses on, you know, subsequent human reflection. Yeah, I think that's, well, I think that's a good, that's a good place to end on. So folks, thanks again to all our supporters. <laughs> if you'd like to give to or donate to our work, then check us out at patreon.com forward slash Godsplaining. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, like, subscribe, leave five-star reviews, what have you. Uh, visit godsplaining.org, godsplaining.org. I mean, no one types in these full things. It just autofills. To shop our merchandise and get dates and information for upcoming Godsplaining events, particularly the retreats coming up in July and August this summer. We'd love to see you for there. Um, also, any sort of other books that Father Gregory is publishing will be uh, on Godsplaining there, I suspect, too. So um, with that, we'll say... Uh, a, a blessed time for you. We'll be praying for you. Please pray for us. And uh, thanks for all your support and your listening to us. And God bless. 